Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for these wonderful songs that we have sung and the um, work that God is doing in the hearts of um, these wonderful children and kids. I know my kids, they, are, they have been impacted, and I can't wait to hear what God has done in their hearts. If anything, they know how to connect with people, so praise the Lord for, for my babies um, connecting with people, and we rejoice in that. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, this is a, a moving passage of Scripture, um, sobering in some ways, but joyful in others. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 16 to chapter 5, verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, beginning with verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. I want to talk about a purpose mindset, a purpose mindset, um, it's almost like part two from yesterday as we looked at um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the whole issue of, of maximizing our moment, embrace your moment, a winning life. And so today really could be like a part two. As we look at Paul, uh, as he highlights his issue of purpose, pick your left foot up when your right foot's down. Come on, legs, keep moving. Don't you lose no ground. You just keep on keeping on the road that you choose. Don't you give up walking because you gave up shoes. No, ease on down, ease on down the road. Come on and ease on down, ease on down the road. Don't you carry nothing that might be a load. Come on and ease on down, ease on down the road. Does anybody know what movie that goes to? Amen. The Wiz, the ministry of the Wiz. Hallelujah. <laughs> if you've never seen the Wiz, don't you die and go to heaven without seeing this urban rendition of the Wizard of Oz, and it also has some hot sauce to it, so to speak, some seasoning, if you will. Michael Jackson and his slick way of playing Scarecrow and, and sister uh, uh, Dorothy, Diana Ross, what a great movie. But this is the same story as the Wizard of Oz. Uh, the, the, the Wiz is what it's called, and and you know the story, if you've, if you've even seen The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy finds herself in the land of Oz, and she ends up meeting some friends. She meets the scarecrow, she meets the tin man, and, and she meets the lion. Dorothy wants to get home. The scarecrow wants a new brain. Tin man wants a heart. And the lion wants some cook, cook, cook courage. So the whole movie centers around them bonding together with one purpose in mind, and that is to see the whiz. But the key to get to the whiz, they have to follow the yellow brick road. In other words, they have to ease on down, ease on down the road. But we know that might sound easy, but there's a wicked witch trying to derail them from their purpose. But as long as they kept the focus, kept the fight, they will reach their destination and get the very thing that they desire the most. Isn't that a great analogy of life? Life is filled with peaks and valleys, twists and turns, many distractions, 
Many distractions, hello social media, many distractions, hello uh, identity crisis, many distractions, many religions, many paths that promise to find whatever enlightenment or heaven they might think that is. But for the Christian, we know that there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, who says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the road to purpose. He's the road to fulfillment. He's the road to heaven. If there's anybody in Scripture that has purpose written all over him, it would be Paul. I mean, you read every last one of his 13 letters. I mean, the brother is filled with passion and purpose to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Paul was a man filled with purpose. And here we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 and chapter 5, verse 10. And one more time, here's my message in a sentence. Here's what I like to give to us. Really, it's a continuum from yesterday, as I mentioned a few moments ago. But if you were to ask me to summarize 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to chapter 5, verse 10, it would be this. Living with purpose always has eternity at the forefront of the mind. Let me say it again for the believer. Living with purpose always has eternity at the forefront of the mind. Show me a person who's passionate about Christ, and I'll show you a person who's passionate about eternity. Living with purpose, yes, we maximize our day. Yes, we we serve God. As we mentioned yesterday, we run the race, we reject, and we look to Jesus. Yes, but we also understand we're doing that in light of eternity. And so living with purpose always has eternity at the forefront of your mind. And think about this for a moment. The decisions that's about to be made for these kids has profound eternal implications. Let this sit even further. Right now, right now at 7.30 p.m., all around this world, people have entered into eternal separation from God. No repeats. It's a done deal. On the other side of the coin, there are believers that have opened their eyes to glory. I love, I love what one preacher said, and let this bless you. He said, Christians don't die. Think about that for a second. Christians don't die. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, we have to understand that Jesus Christ says that whoever believes in me will never die, will never die. We followers of Jesus will never know what it fully means to die because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when God says, give me back my breath on this side of heaven, we wake up into his presence. I mean, amen. Praise God for the believer. So Christians don't die. We will never fully Know what it means to die. Praise God for that. Because we'll be with him forever. So living with purpose always has eternity at the forefront of the mind. How do we do this? How do I always have eternity at the forefront of the mind? What does this purpose mindset look like? Jot this down. Here's the first thought to answer that question. We need to look to what's eternal. I've already tipped my hand to that. We need to look to what's eternal. That's verses verses 16 to 18. Look at verse 16. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. He just got finished describing the struggle of life and the issue of serving the Lord. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. 
our inner self is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't faint. We don't throw in the towel. He says our outer self is wasting away. In fact, one preacher says, I love this, listen to this, we begin to die as soon as we are born. (laughs) Think about that. As soon as we have life in this life, as soon as we are born, we begin to die. I mean, let me give you some examples of this. If, if you agree with any of these examples, please don't be ashamed. Say amen in agreement. Here's one. Here's an example of beginning to die as soon as we are born. I'm not as fast as I used to be. Here's another one. I don't lose weight as fast as I used to. Shoot, every time I look at a cookie, it sticks to me. Here's another one. I'm not as strong as I used to be. My doctor visits can be a pain. We being honest in church, hello. For some of us men, our hairlines are not what they used to be. I was in Bible college. This is not even in my notes. I'm just going to go there. When I was in uh, Bible college, I had a professor. He had nothing left here, but he had like one of them uh, George Jefferson haircuts, right? And he grew it out on the side and straightened it out over here and swooped it over. I'm like, brother, just let it go. <laughs> let it go in Jesus' name. Every, t- every time I went to class, I just wanted to bring a pair of scissors and say, just, just in Jesus' name, you are set free, brother. <laughs> Please don't do that to yourself. So Paul, Paul, Paul's not saying don't take care of yourself. He's not saying, you know, d- d- don't go to the gym and don't exercise. He's not saying any of that. I mean, those things are important. But the reality is no matter what we do, we cannot escape the aging process. This flesh will not be in heaven. That's why we need a new body anyways. This flesh is contaminated by sin. And so... The outer self is wasting away, but the reality is our inner self is being renewed day by day. Praise the living God. The word renew here means to make new again. One Bible scholar says believers should be growing spiritually younger and healthier as they grow physically older. We are being made fit for our future heavenly home, and this happens through a process that comes day by day. As when the Israelites received the manna in the wilderness, the Lord provides us with the grace we need for today. Next week's grace must wait until next week. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is is Paul says our outer self is wasting away but our inner self is being renewed day by day he expounds more on this look at verse 17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison light here does not refer to actual light it has to do with weight and the implication is that when we look at suffering and all the pain that this life current life this fallen world throws our way and we're not diminishing that but when we compare the pains and sufferings of this life to the reality of eternity it's lightweight no more chemo No more doctor visits. 
no more comb-overs. When we step into eternity, we begin to live. And we experience that for all of eternity. He says it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The human finite mind cannot even fully grasp the beauty of what it's going to be like to be in the presence of God without sin even there. One scholar says when the input of affliction is compared to the output of glory that Christ is accomplishing on your behalf, Paul insists that the difference between them is like night and day. And so Paul says, and this is where I get my first point, as we look, verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The idea of look here is intense focus. Well, the question then is this, how do I focus or how do I look to what is not seen? How do we look to what's eternal? A simple answer, the main dominant answer is to walk by faith. There it is. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. It's the idea that it's faith that enables a Christian to see that which cannot be seen. It's been said, and I said this a few days ago, if all you see is what you see, you have not seen all that there is to be seen. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand, everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. So the issues that we deal with when we counsel people or whatever those things might be, everything has a direct spiritual reality behind it. And that's why we cannot even begin to address fruit until we address root. And so the Christian life is about faith. It's almost as if Paul is saying, don't close your eyes to the realities of life. They are real, but open your eyes with the eyes of faith and see a great God. And so the way we look to what's eternal is that we walk by faith. Another answer, or really a sibling of this, is believe God's word. Believe God's word. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. One pastor says that we have never seen Christ or heaven, yet we know they are real. Why? Because the word of God tells us so. I don't know about you all, but I, I never forget it was the Sunday, my last Sunday as a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. And that was a hard day. And as I share the news of God transitioning my family on, you know, you planted the church, blood, sweat, and tears. You live life with people, but you realize you got to answer the call. And after that Sunday, a group of us went over to this little Asian spot and having a good time. And, and I looked up and I see the television. And that's when I saw the news about Kobe Bryant dying in the helicopter crash. I've always been a Kobe Bryant fan. I, I, I love, love his, uh, his work ethic. He is the closest thing, closest athlete I've seen to MJ, the GOAT, in my opinion. Hello, somebody. But it's fascinating watching players, the impact that this guy has had on so many other players and even players that have played with him. And I've seen interviews, you know, on YouTube and where people ask, what is it like to play with Kobe? And they all, you know, say their own opinion. But every last one of them come back to some point and say he was just different. He was just different. Why? Because he had the Mamba mentality. He had an intense focus. He had a he had a drive. When people look at our lives, when people look at us, do they see that we are focused? 
Do they see that we are different? Not that we're looking for the praise of man, but do they see that we're driven to serve Christ or do, do they see that we're driven to serve ourselves? See, we should be different. We should be different. One of the challenges that we're facing in the Western culture is that far too many people look at the church and say, hey, you say you preach Christ, but man, you don't look like your picture. And you know what? A lot of them are right. But we must be different. Why? Because we have a real Savior. We should be different because we have a great God. We should be different because his word is true. And when people come into contact with you and me, they should see a person who is filled with purpose, who looks to what's eternal, that I'm not living for the now. I'm living in light of eternity. So how do we keep eternity at the forefront of the mind? I look to what's eternal my life is different. But secondly, it's a sibling of the first, we long for home. We long for home. I don't know about you, but in my Bible it has a different heading in this particular section. And we know that chapter headings and verse numbers are not inspired by the Spirit of God. It's the actual words on the page. And so I argue that Paul is not done. He's not done talking about his issue of purpose. That's why he says in verse 1, in verse 5, of chapter 5, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When the Bible talks about knowing, it's not like a head knowledge. It's more of an intimate knowing. It's like a mother knows her child. I mean, just the other day, you got 800 plus kids out here. I'm coming back from breakfast. I'm walking. And I mean, there's a lot of kids out there. And I heard, Daddy. I stopped, turned, and there's my baby running towards me. Why is that? How was I able to know? Because she's my child. There's this intimate knowing. There's this relationship. And parents and grandparents, you understand. That's the intimate knowing that Paul is talking about. For we intimately know that if the tent, the tent's referring to a temporary structure. That's our earthly bodies. That's our bodies that's wasting away. It will be destroyed why? Because we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Theologians agree that the building from God here is referring to the believer's actual resurrected, glorified body. John 2:19, Jesus, speaking of his own body, says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Hallelujah. One scholar says that when a believer dies, let this bless you, the body goes to the grave, but the spirit goes to be with Christ. And when Jesus Christ returns for his own, he will raise the dead bodies in glory and body and spirit shall be joined together for a glorious eternity in heaven. That's a good spot for an amen. Matter of fact, if you read, I, command, I challenge every last one of us, maybe sometime this week or in the next coming days to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, more specifically about this incorruptible resurrected body. So Paul says we intimately know that this, this, this tent's going to go away, but we're going to receive something even greater that's going to be eternal in the heavens. But Paul's not dumb because he is stuck with the reality of, or honest rather, with the reality of where we currently exist. And that's this thing called time. Verse 2, he says... <laughs> For in this tent, speaking of this body, we groan. Ooh, yes, we do. In fact, I was just on the phone with my mother for, before I came over here. 
just checking in with her, FaceTiming her. And my dad had a growing injury that he had developed um, from playing golf. And it seemed like that wasn't going away. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, yeah, your growing's healed. But we, he just discovered that he has arthritis in the same area. And he was just like, oh, literally, right before we came here, oh, son. I said, Dad, you're, you're a man of God. Just, just, just put some anointing oil on there in Jesus' name. And just cracking jokes with him. But he's grown. He groans. We all groan. We get sore. We get tired. We, we cry. We, 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 we feel the weight of the realities of life. For in this tent we groan. That's a deep sigh longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Does anybody long to say, Lord, please, please, to put on our heavenly dwelling? Mm. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent, we groan. Yeah, amen, Paul. Yes, we do. Being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I mean, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul talks about this idea of being close to death. We groan and we suffer. But he doesn't leave it there. He hammers away at hope. And I, don't, and I love this. Paul doesn't just stay there and say, oh, woe is me. This is the reality. Yes, the reality. But notice what he says in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. How do we know that God will follow through? How, how can we be so sure that we will take on this eternal glory, this resurrected body? How do we know for sure? Well, he told you. God, number one, is behind this. Notice the ESV says prepared. The NIV says fashioned. The idea means to carefully produce, to bring about a specific end. And what I love about this word is that in God's eyes, because mind, mind you, he's past, present, and future right now. It's already done. It's already done. You see, at the moment of salvation, transformation has happened. Um, we, we are saved, past tense, but we're also, we are being saved, that we should be conforming more into the image of Christ, and that we will be saved, meaning that we will be delivered from this world into his glory for all of eternity. And that started when we said yes to Jesus. That's why Philippians 1.6 is a very important scripture. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, he will finish. And Paul says the reason why we can be so sure is because God is behind this. One thing we know that God can't do, he can't lie. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. How can we be so sure God is behind this? How can we be so sure, number two, God has given us a guarantee? Oh, let this bless you. He says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. The word guarantee in the Greek means installment or a down payment. You hear me. The Holy Spirit that dwells within the believer. Let me just throw, you, throw out a little quick theological reality. When a person says yes to Jesus, when some of these kids today who will say yes to Jesus, 
These few things will happen all at once, not gradual, not over time. When these kids and when we say yes to Jesus, there are a few things that happen. Number one, there's conviction. The Holy Spirit convicts. The word of God goes forward. It will not return void. God works in the hearts of the people. Nobody in here can save themselves. I can't lead nobody to Christ. It's the spirit of God that draws a person to himself. At our best, we are cracked jars of clay. Vessels that God uses to give people hope. So there's conviction. And when a person says yes to Jesus, there's regeneration. Now they are in Christ. There's a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. Not only are they convicted, regenerated, they are indwelt. The Spirit of God now takes residence as a guarantee that they are God's child. By the way, the world is not God's children. Did you hear what I just said? The world is not God's children. Only those who turn from their sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith will they become children of God. You're convicted, you're regenerated, you are indwelt, you are baptized. Not physical baptism, even though that's important, but physical baptism doesn't save you. No, it doesn't. It's, it should be the first thing saved people do. There's baptism, meaning that spiritually I'm now placed, I'm immersed into the family of God. And finally, when a person says yes to Jesus, they are sealed. They are sealed. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed until the day of redemption. And so when Paul says that God is behind this, and one way you know, he said it, and he's giving you his Holy Spirit as a down payment that he secures our legal claim and he makes the contract binding. Ephesians, if you give me some Bible, yes, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is why you cannot lose your salvation. Because if I can lose my salvation, then I'm calling God a liar who said he would seal me. So now he has to unseal me. It's not about whether you can lose your salvation. The issue is, did you mean what you said when you came to Christ? It's a big difference. And so what do we do with this? We long for home. Okay, what does this look like then? How do I long for home? Let me give you two quick applicational thoughts here. We long for home, number one, by sending out the invitations. You know how it is. If it's a wedding or a birthday or some event, you want to send out invitations. Well, what's our invitation? Go tell it on the mountain. Open your mouth and declare the excellencies of Jesus. God has you in your community, in your sphere, in your church, in your demographic for a sole reason to tell people where they can find hope. So send out the invitations. Make the announcement to people that they don't have to live in their misery. They don't have to live in that broken state. They can, they can experience life with meaning and purpose, rivers of living, water, joy that's unspeakable. Send out the invitations. How do I long for home? Send out the invitations. Be addicted to evangelism. Share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. But also... How do we long for home? Prepare for the wedding. You do know that's going to be a big old wedding. Jesus Christ takes his bride, the church, to himself. 
So how do I do that? Well, I got to be committed to growing in my relationship. I should not have somebody where I should be further along. Will you, will you, will you seek God? No, I should be getting up myself. I should be owning and embracing my walk with God. I cannot uh, lean on my spouse to walk with God for me. No, I own that. You own that. Grow in your relationship with Jesus. Worship him. Maximize it. Fulfill your purpose. Don't phone it in. I don't know about you. Long like Dorothy, when she clicked her heels three times and said, what? There's no place like, there's no place like, and for the believer, home is where Jesus is. Home is where Jesus is. So a purpose mindset, I need to look to what's eternal. Yes, I need to long for home. But thirdly and finally, here it is, we need to live to please the Lord. Live to please the Lord. Notice Paul's confidence in verse 6 and 8 of chapter 5. So we are always of good courage. We know, there's an intimate knowing there, that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be of good courage literally is to be confident, to be cheerful. And so here's a few implications here. Paul says, implication number one, I'm confident because my focus is not on the present, but on the future. That's why he says we walk by faith and not by sight. As if to say I live in light of the ultimate rather than for the moment. I live in light of his word. I operate by faith. I trust God. One of the things I think we need to cultivate more is a holy confidence. It doesn't mean that we know everything, but no, I, one thing I know, though, I'm, I'm going to trust God. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I do know I'm going to trust the Lord. So Paul says, I'm confident because my focus is not on the present but on the future. Another implication is I'm confident because I'm constrained. I'm constrained by the commission of Christ. Wow. Philippians 1, 21, you've heard this verse. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, what? <laughs> See, the book of Philippians, is that, it's that book of joy, right? It's really weird, though, if you think about it from a human perspective. Because if you know somebody in jail, the person on the outside in the free world wants to give that person who's in jail some hope, some encouragement. But Paul is in jail talking about the joy of the Lord to the people on the outside. How weird is that? How weird is that? Oh, let me, you look at me like I'm strange. Let me, let me, get, let me, let me read to you. Let me read to you how interestingly crazy this is, but hallelujah at the same time this is. He says in Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What, Paul? I wish I was a fly on the wall when this letter was read to the church. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What? If I'm in prison, I'm going to be crying and complaining 
And you would too. You ain't that too deep and spiritual. <laughs> but here Paul is. He's in prison. Guards are chained to him. And every shift, those guards hear one message. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That shift is over. That guard makes a change, exchange one of his co-workers. Hey, man, get ready, man. It's going to be a long night for you. That guard comes in, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That rotation is over. Third guard comes in, hey, man, I just want you to know he crazy. But what message did he get? Jesus, 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 which leads Paul to say, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. As if to say, yeah, you might beat me, you might have me in change. But as long as I'm living, I'm going to be with him. But if you decide to kill me, I'm going to be with Christ. So for the believer, we are in a win-win situation. Well, no other religion can do that. And so it must be for us. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm constrained by the commission of Jesus. And so Paul Paul now leads into the, the last section in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Looks at verse 9 and 10. Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. There it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. My goal, Paul says, is to please him. Dr. Tony Evans makes an observation here about this passage. He says, one day every Christian will have to stand before Christ's bema, that's the judgment seat, to have his or her faithfulness or lack thereof evaluated and recompensed. Believers will be granted or denied awards based on whether or not they have lived for Christ. There will be no hiding on that day and there will be no actions in your Christian life that will be overlooked Therefore, knowing that everything good or evil will be repaid, how do you want to spend the few days allowed to you? Our days are numbered. And we don't know when God's going to say, give me back my breath. And so we need to agree with Paul to make it our aim to please him. Because one day we're going to have to give an account for our lives, not for the believer to see if they get into heaven. No, they're already there. But in terms of reward or the lack thereof, listen to this delightful story. Our son was five when his goldfish died. I agreed he could send the goldfish back to God. Anyway, he won it. Expecting him to give the goldfish a proper burial in our flower garden, I was surprised to receive a call from our small rural post office. <laughs> Could you come over? Asked the postmaster. I want to show you what your son Ben put in the mail drop. I walked quickly to the post office. She was waiting. Glenda, a lot is expected <laughs> of the post office but this is the most amazing delivery we have ever been asked to make. She handed me the envelope laughing. On the outside of the envelope, printed in big blue capital letters, were these words. To God from Ben. 
Inside the envelope was a very flat, dead goldfish. I guess the question for us is this. What are we sending ahead? What are we sending ahead? What are we sending ahead? I don't know about you, but I, it's sobering to think that the only thing that's going to last a thousand years from now is what we did for Christ. Not what level I made on a particular board game. Not what kind of fashion I like in terms of clothing or what kind of car or career I had. The only thing that will last is what we do for Christ. So I want to encourage us as we get ready to head, you know, head home this week and go about our days. We need to ask God to give us a holy confidence and a holy passion to stick to what matters most. Investing in people, pointing people to Christ, serving the Lord, giving ourselves away, not hoarding it, but giving it away. God is a blessing to you so he can be a blessing through you. Tell somebody about Jesus. And when people come in contact with us, they need to see that we are people living with purpose. Because living with purpose always has eternity at the forefront of the mind. Oh, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere in the Lord. Let's make it last and let's send it forward in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this week. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, none of us is perfect. We all stumble in many ways. We've all have, have had those seasons of our lives where we just kind of just wasted our time. I can think of many in my own life. But Lord, thank you for your grace today that gives us a renewed focus, that we need to stick to what matters most, majoring in the purposes of God, majoring in what you've called us to do, the families you've given to us, the relationships you've allowed us to have, the church community and the, and the people in our, in our sphere of influence. Lord, may we make much of this. These are mission fields that we could take advantage of appropriately for your glory. So, Father, help us to have a sense of purpose. Thank you that we don't have to white-knuckle our way into heaven. No, you've given us your son. We can rest in that accomplishment. But right now on this earth, may we be like Paul. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Thank you that we are in a win-win situation. Now, may we get after it as we serve the purposes of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.